Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask that you be with the preacher and you be with those who are hearing. From your throne of grace, give us grace that we may receive your word. We ask that you write eternal truths upon our hearts. Help us and create in us and cultivate in us uh, a life that is lived unto your word, unto your law, unto all the things that you command. Be with, and now, be with us now by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so like I said, we are in the Lord's Prayer once again because this evening we will gather for corporate prayer. Last time we were together, we considered the second petition, which is your kingdom come and your will be done. And uh, there's many things that we looked at concerning that petition. Uh, but the big takeaway from praying your kingdom come and your will be done is essentially we are praying that God's kingdom of grace, which is the church, would be advanced and that God's kingdom of glory, which is the church in heaven, would come down and meet with the church of grace or the God's kingdom of grace. Essentially, what we are asking is that what we have in heaven would be seen and fulfilled on earth. And that's what we're asking when we ask your kingdom come. That we want the church to continue to advance. We're asking that the kingdom of Satan will be destroyed. And that we're asking Jesus Christ to reign in the hearts and minds and souls and wills of all of us. And now we've turned to the third petition, which says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, the third petition of this Lord's Prayer is your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's important for us, and it's fitting, that Christ would say that this is the third petition in light of the first two petitions, which is hallowing the name of God, and the second being praying that God's kingdom would come. Because in order for us to hallow the name of God, in order for us to advance God's kingdom of grace, then we need to do the will of God. These things do not happen. We, we can't do the first or second petition without a clear understanding and obedience to the third petition, which is doing the will of God. And there's been much, uh, many books written on this. There's been much ink that has been spilled concerning the will of God. Uh, many conferences are held. Uh, many sermons have been preached with titles such as uh, what is the will of God for my life? Uh, do you know God's will for your life? And all that. And this morning we're going to answer a little bit of what God's will is for our life. And we see that answer in this petition here. Where we read, your kingdom or your will be done as it, as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Uh, two points I want us to consider. And that is, number one, what is the will of God? So we'll define what the will of God is. And then secondly, we'll ask, why do we pray for God's will to be done? Uh, two simple points. Number one, what is the will of God? And number two, why do we pray for the will of God to be done? So number one, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? I, again, there's been much uh, ink that has been spilled over what exactly is the will of God. Uh, what is the will of God for our lives, which people will eventually ask. But in general, 
If someone was to ask you, what is the will of God, uh, what kind of answer would you give? And when theologians define the will of God, they speak of it in two ways. They speak of it in two ways. Now, don't misunderstand me. There is one will of God because God is one. Uh, God is, uh, he has one essence. Uh, and your will is tied to your essence. So there was only one will of God. But within the one will of God, we distinguish. Uh, there is a distinguishing mark within the one will of God. They speak of it in two ways, theologians. There's God's decretive or God's secret will. And then there's God's preceptive or revealed will. Again, the one will of God is distinguished in two ways. There's God's decretive or secret will. And then there's God's preceptive or revealed will. Let's first consider God's decretive or secret will. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. So here in Deuteronomy 29, 29, we have for us an example of how we are to approach the will of God. And clearly it says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but there are things that are revealed for us, for us to know. The decretive or the secret will of God are God's uh, eternal decrees. It is those things that God has predestined to happen before the foundation of the world, before the beginning of time. And this will is called secret because you and I don't know it. You and I don't know the things that God has planned before the foundation of the world. We don't know all the specifics in which God has purposed to happen in time. For example, we all know that one day we're going to die. But we don't know how and we don't know when. The how and the when is related to God's secret will. We don't know these things because they haven't been revealed to us. Or we know that Jesus will come back one day. But we don't know when he's going to come back. That is because those things are secret. That, that is in line more with God's decretive will. So we don't know the secret will of God in the present. But we only know the secret will of God in retrospect. We know the secret will of God in retrospect. Meaning we can look back at history and we can see all of God's secret will, all the particulars of God's secret will, because it already happened. So we can say, hey, now I know what God has purposed before the foundation of the world. Because we can look back and we can see uh, that secret will in time and space. But not only can we say, uh, refer to God's secret will as hidden, but it also God's secret will always comes to pass. God's secret will, his decretive will, the things that he's purposed to happen in time, they always come to pass. Read of this in Job 42.2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Whatever God decrees will happen. Whatever God purposes in this world will come to fulfillment that nothing can disrupt God's decree. No matter what happens in the world, no matter what happens in time, there is nothing that is going to change what God has decreed to happen. But in addition to God's decretive or secret will, there's also God's preceptive or revealed will. Preceptive or revealed will. And God's revealed will is unlike God's hidden will because it's not hidden. 
It's been revealed to us. God has chosen to reveal to us his desires. So in that regard, we can say that God's revealed will is all that he commands. God's revealed will, what he has revealed to us, are his commands. Now you might ask, what is the will of God for my life? Well, he's revealed the will of God for my life in his word. And that will is that we obey him. It's God's word. It's God's law that the Christian must obey. And friends, when we think about the revealed will of God, isn't this a loving and gracious gift from God? Because God, if he wanted to, he could have left us in the dark. He could have not revealed to us his commands and the things that please him. But rather, in leaving us in the dark, he has lovingly made known to us his will in his word. He's given us his word that we may know what is pleasing in his sight. So in summary, within the one will of God, we distinguish there's God's hidden will. And those are the things that God has purposed to happen before the foundation of the world. And then there's God's revealed will which are those things that God has revealed to us in his word to, to help us live as Christians. Now let's ask, what is the third petition concerned with? What is the third petition concerned with? In other words, when we pray, your will be done. Are we praying that God's hidden will will be done? Or are we praying that God's revealed will will be done? Again, when we pray your will be done, are we praying that God's hidden will, his secret will, the things that he has purposed before the foundation of the world, are we praying that those things will come to pass? Or are we praying for God's revealed will, the things that he has commanded us to obey? Well, in one respect, we are praying for both to be accomplished. In one respect, we are praying for both to be accomplished. But, saints, this petition is not primarily... And first and foremost, concerned with praying that God's hidden will would be fulfilled. Again, this petition is not first and foremost primarily concerned with us praying that all the things that God has purposed before the foundation of the world will come to pass. In other words, when we pray your will be done, we are not first and foremost praying that all of God's purposes will come to pass. And the reason is because whether we pray for God's purposes to come to pass or not, they're going to come to pass. So this petition is not primarily concerned, only secondarily, but not primarily concerned with us asking for God's plans and purposes to come to pass. Rather, when we pray your will be done, and if you're taking notes, this is important, when we pray your will be done, we are primarily praying that God's revealed will would be accomplished in our lives. When we pray your will to be done, we're praying that God's revealed will would be accomplished in our lives. That is the primary concern with this petition. Again, God's revealed will are those things that God has commanded us to live by. God's revealed will is his word, his law. The things that we are to live by. And when we pray for God's will to be done, we're saying something more about us rather than about God. When we are praying for God's will to be done, we're saying, God, help us obey the things that you have revealed to us. And that God will fulfill all the things that he has commanded for us to obey through us. 
So in summary, when we pray your will to be done, we are first and foremost praying that we will obey God's commands and his word. When we pray your will to be done, we are praying that we will fulfill God's revealed will. And then secondly, we are praying that God would fulfill all the things that he has purposed to come to pass. So again, when we pray your will be done, we are praying that we will fulfill and obey God's revealed will, which is his law and his commands. And then secondarily, we are praying that all that God has purposed in our lives, all that God has purposed in the world will come to pass. Again, this prayer or this petition is saying something more about us. And we'll now consider what is it saying about us? When we ask, why do we pray this petition? Why do we pray this petition? What's the reason why we pray this petition? What, why would Christ say that we are to pray this petition? Well, just like the first two petitions, the third petition informs us of how we are to live our lives as Christians. And if there's one thing that we are to know apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ is how we are to live in light of the saving work of Jesus Christ. We want to be better Christians, not merely ones who profess that we are Christians, but also live like we are Christians. In the Christian life, there are two great virtues that the Spirit works in all true believers. And these two virtues are humility and obedience. Humility and obedience. Let's consider the first virtue of humility. From the very first moments you heard the gospel, and think back when you first heard the great news of Jesus Christ, you heard that there was nothing that you can do. That if you were in Adam's place, you would have done the same thing that he would have done. That in Adam, you have separated yourself from God. That in Adam, you have died a spiritual death. And that one day, your body will be disconnected from your souls. And then you heard the great news of Christ. That he came and he lived, died, rose, and ascended for us. And what a great gospel news that is. But essentially, saints, when you, when you heard the gospel for the first time, what you heard was a message that said, you can't save yourself. That is essentially what you heard, is it not? The gospel is screaming that there is nothing that you could do. There is no merit that you can earn in order for you to gain some type of righteous standing before holy God. The gospel screams that you are insufficient to save yourself. So what is God doing in his gospel? God is humbling us. God in the gospel humbles us. Because it only takes a humble heart. Only a humble heart can say, yes, there is nothing that I can do to earn my salvation. There is nothing that I can do in order to earn a righteous standing before holy God. So God in his gospel, he is bringing us down low. He's bringing us to our knees in repentance. Saying that, yes, I need to believe in Jesus Christ. That there is nothing that I can do to earn my way to heaven. So in the gospel, God humbles us. And even after conversion, the Lord commands that you attend and even join the local church. Why? Because you can't be your own pastor. Because you need others around you. Because the Christian life isn't meant for you to get on your horse and just ride the road alone. But in the gospel, 
After conversion, God humbles you by saying, you can't do this alone. But you need other people around you. You need the sacraments to help sustain you and build you up in the faith. You need elders to come under submission to, to help lead you. Again, saints, the Christian life isn't meant to live alone. But God has commanded, not a suggestion, but if you are a believer in Christ, He has commanded that you visibly join your faith with like-minded Christians. That's humbling, is it not? What do you mean I can't do this myself? That I have to join my faith visibly with like-minded Christians? And here we see in the third petition that God once again, He's humbling us. He's humbling us. And how is He doing this, saints? Because so often we want our own will to be done. So often in this life, we want our own will to be done. How many of us, we navigate the GPS of our own lives based upon what we want, rather than what God wants? How many of us in this life create for ourselves our own roads and our own highways, rather than seeking God's path? And even now, some of us have been so ingrained with, well, this is how Daddy did it. This is how Grandma did it. This is how my culture does things. Rather than, what does God want us to do? How is God commanding that I respond to these things? Saints, this was the will of God, the will of our first parents, was it not? In the garden, was it not Adam and Eve that let go of the divine hand of God? They, they chose to obtain the rewards of God upon their own strength. They, they stopped being humble. They stopped humbling themselves under God's submission, His word and His law. And when we pray, your will be done, what are we doing essentially? Well, we are humbling ourselves before God. We are humbling ourselves before God. We are saying yes to the fact. We are confessing to the fact that we do have an inclination, that we do have a tendency to do our own will rather than God's will. That's what we are saying when we are asking God, your will be done. We are confessing that we are so sinful at times that we have tendencies to do our own thing, to do our own will, because we think at times we know more than God. Now, one question that might arise is, well, what is God's will? Specifically, what is God's will for my life? One of the great Christian questions that everyone asks, right? What is God's will for my life? Well, the Bible doesn't say which color shirt is more inclined with God's will. The Bible doesn't say whether you wear black shoes or white shoes, that depending on the color, you're doing God's will. The Bible doesn't give us specifics on what job God wants us to take or the type of house or cars God wants us to drive. But the Bible does give us the basic principles for determining which job we should take. For example, we shouldn't take a job that's inherently sinful. We shouldn't take a job that may cause us to stop attending church for a long period of time. We shouldn't buy things, purchase homes or buy cars that that might cause our family, even ourselves, to struggle financially. Or even purchase things that might lessen our giving to the church. So the principles are there. The Bible doesn't give us God's will for everything we should do in everyday situations, but it does give us the parameters and the principles and the basics of the type of decisions that please God. 
and the type of the sisters that please God are the ones when we humble ourselves and we put Him first. Those are the type of decisions that please God. I mean, I met so many Christians that once they find a better paying job that's out of town, they just jump for it without looking for a church, without considering how their spiritual soul is going to be once they leave their church. They take a job that might cause them to never come back to church ever again because it pays more money. And what God, or I was to say, the decisions that please God most are those ones that allow Him to be involved in our decisions. Not merely just asking mom and dad and the ones who we think that are smartest around us what decisions should we make, but rather seeking God What do you want me to do? And saints, this is only following the pattern of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who said in John 5, I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Our Christ lived a life that was marked of great humility. He he always sought to do the will of His Heavenly Father. and And we see this exemplified in vivid detail in the Garden of Gethsemane, do we not? In his most dire and stressful situation, as the the sufferings and the agony began to penetrate into the human soul of Christ, he's starting to understand and be aware of the severity of carrying the sins upon our sins upon his back. He falls on his face and he says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Isn't this the prayer that we should all have, saints? That even in our most dire situations, our most stressful situations, that we can say, God, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me, but not as I will, but yours will be done. This is so different than how we pray, is it not? When we pray, Lord, if it is possible, let your will be done, We say that, well, we will continue to do your will. But you must let this come and go away. Or many of us, when we say, Lord, I submit to your will only up to the point where it starts to hurt. That's not the type of Christians we are to be. We are to have and be marked by the same humility that Christ was marked with in his humanity. We are to have this type of resolve And hear me now, this type of resolve that in any situation, good or bad, pain, suffering, good news, we are to say, God, let that which you have purpose come to pass. Let all that you have commanded come to pass. As we pray your will be done, we're being humbled and the Holy Spirit is cultivating us the virtue of humility being humble before the Lord and knowing that we ourselves are not our best decision makers because we are so inclined to do the things that only we want to do. and We don't consider the people around us, but more importantly, we don't consider our spiritual soul. And that's what we need to do when we pray this third petition, your will to be done. But not only does this third petition humble us, but also it teaches us obedience. It teaches us obedience. The Christian life is an obedient life. It is a life that is to be lived under the law 
and the commands of holy God. And it's a shame that this aspect of the Christian life is greatly undermined in many Protestant churches today. That this aspect of of sanctification, of living a holy life, of living a life that produces good works, that this aspect itself has been greatly undermined in many Protestant churches today. And I don't know if it's because we want to distance ourselves from Roman Catholicism, which teaches that the believer must obtain a certain righteousness in order to enter heaven. That we don't want to say that good works have any sort of merit in order for us to earn heaven. Or maybe it's because we just love the gospel of grace so much. We love justification by faith alone. That if we start to speak about obedience, then that would undermine salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Well, there's many ways that we can come at this, but those Christians that believe in God, that believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ, that believe that there is nothing that they can do to earn their salvation, but they don't live a life of obedience to God's word, then they are essentially practically atheists. They're practical atheists. Which means that the only difference between you and an atheist is simply that you can say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you live no differently from them. That's not the type of Christians that we are to be saints. We are to be the ones who pray that God would conform us every single day to his word. That salvation is not merely that you're justified, but in Christ you receive both justification and sanctification. We aren't to equate merely salvation with justification. But rather, in salvation, not only do we receive a righteousness that's not of our own, but also the Holy Spirit cultivates in us a righteousness, holiness. There are even some Christians who believe and think that obedience to the law has no relevance to the Christian today. But friends, the Scriptures are clear on this point. Christ says in John 14, 6, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Our love for Christ shows itself in obedience. And without obedience to God, simply put, what type of Christian are you? Without obedience to God, then what type of Christian are you? And according to the Bible, obedience is not optional. It's not optional whether you should obey or not, but it's a command. God commands that you obey. God's law are not suggestions. But it is the path in which the Christian is to walk. The Christian life, yes, begins with the gospel. But it's lived out by obeying God's law. That yes, we can confess that we are saved by faith alone, but that faith doesn't remain alone. But that faith sees itself out in good works. We are justified by faith alone. But the justified don't merely live according to that faith, but rather they live in light of that faith. And that faith sees itself out in obedience to God's word. And I find one of the reasons, if not the main reason, why we don't obey God's command is it's not our lack of ability. Because God has given to us His Spirit. But saints, it's our lack of desire. It's not that you can't obey God's law because God has given you His Spirit, but it's really your lack of desire. Do you want to obey God's law? 
Do you want to live a Christ-like, Spirit-filled life? Do you want to? And in this petition here, we are praying that God give me the desire to obey all that you have commanded. All that you have commanded. Saints, I've said this before, and I will continue to say it, but it's not a bad thing to be holy. It's not a bad thing to obey God. I think at times, because of our lack of desire, we what this stems from is just we're just ungrateful. We're just ungrateful for what Christ has done for us, and th- that is the root of our obedience, saints. It's just showing our gratefulness to God. That is why we obey, because God allows us to. He gives us the ability to. That our good works one day will be rewarded in heaven. And not because we're trying to earn a reward, but more so we're grateful for what God has done for us. And in doing so, what do we do? We obey. We obey. And saints, this third petition reminds us of how the Christian life is to be lived. That we are not merely just to be professors of Christ, but also doers of Christ's law. We are to live as Christians. And there's anything that I'm, that, that God is teaching me more and more as I grow older is how to live like a Christian. How to live like a Christian. I wasn't going to mention this, but I'm, I think it's fitting that I, last Sunday morning we, we heard from Pastor Antonio that he went to uh, my, my cousin's funeral or whatever it was. And knowing him, knowing how he is to a certain extent, there's plenty of other things that he could have been doing on a Saturday. <laughs> rather than having to put on a suit, rather than having to get mentally prepared to go to a funeral. Also, to wake up, get ready, and go to a place where there's going to be people there that have hurt him. That I'm sure he probably doesn't want to see. But yet, he still went. And in him going, what happens? Well, he's able to show the love of Christ. What what happened? He's able to show others people whom have hurt him in the past that I forgive you. That I do love you. And what he's doing there is in spite of what he wants to do, which is probably stay home, be with the kids, I'm going to do what will bring God more glory rather than myself. I actually woke up, went to go get hamburgers and Mexican bread for my family, knowing that there was a funeral. And what was I doing in that moment, saints? Well, I was doing my own will rather than what would please God more. Even if I never even shared the gospel with any of my family members, at least I was to be an example of the gospel, to show love, to show charity to those who have hurt me in the past. And saints, that's how we are to think also of the will of God. Is how can I in my decision-making, glorify God the best between A or between B, between these two choices. And this is how we are to live the Christian life. 
is to always do things for the glory and majesty of God. What's going to bring him more honor? Him more glory? So to summarize this point, with the help of Psalm 119, when we pray your will be done, we are praying that God would change our hearts, change our minds, and change our wills in relation to his commands. That we don't naturally, saints, want to obey God. But we are asking that God would change all of our faculties, that we may obey him. The psalmist says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Praise God. That is a prayer that we should say every single day. When we pray your will be done, it's confessing to God that we don't obey him in the way that we should. Even now, when the preached word goes forth, we don't obey him the way that we should. And as the psalmist says, teach me, O Lord, your statutes. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. And the heart in, in the Bible is usually a reference to one's entire being. With all of me, I may keep your law. With every single part of me, my all of my faculties, my soul, my will, my senses, everything. And when we pray your will be done, we are praying and pleading God for divine help. Because saints, we cannot do this alone. And I hope that you haven't got from me that you need to do better. And in many respects, we do need to do better. But more importantly, we need to pray that God would give to us divine help. And he has. He's given to us His Spirit that we won't constantly sin against God in disobedience. As the psalmist says in the last two verses, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to Your Word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me Your law. Take all of my vices, everything that I'm inclined to do sinfully, away from me. And allow your law to come near to me. Allow that which you have commanded, that which pleases you, to come near to me. And saying that there is anything that I've, uh, that I enjoy doing in this life, it is pleasing my mother. Whether it be surprising her with food, whether it be doing something for her that I I don't want to do, but I do it because I love her so much, and I just I, I want to know that she is happy with me. And we should take that same sort of attitude when we consider our great God in heaven. Because God has done for me what my mother could never do for me. He saved me. And that's the type of attitude that we are to have when we consider the Christian life. And when we consider the third petition. That Lord, teach me your ways. That I may be your humble servant. As we close, saints, how are we are to live? What are we to do? Well, We can, again, give a long list of things that we are to do. But if there's anything that we should do, and that is we should pray. And when we're done praying, pray again. And we continue to pray, Lord, strengthen me that I may obey all of your commands. But also, strengthen me. Because the Christian life is a life also of suffering and pain. And strengthen me that all the things that you have commanded to take place 
will be for my edification, even when I don't understand it. That everything, suffering, pain, joy, that everything that you have purposed to happen in this life, that somehow, some way, you will get glory, and I will be better for it. And that's what we can are learning and we're doing when we are praying, your will be done. And you'll see in the last line, on earth as it is in heaven. And simply put, what that means is that we will obey the will of God the way the angels in heaven obey the will of God. That we'll do it readily. That we won't take our time in doing so, but when God commands it, we do it. That we have the heart of the angels. That every single day, we have at the forefront of our mind the glory of God. Saints, let's pray now. 